Please turn in your Old Testaments to the book of Judges, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We are beginning a summer series through the book of Judges. We'll talk about why that is in a minute. And we're going to start with chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Walking by faith in an unsteady world. Lord, we pray as we open the book of Judges that you would give us incredible insight, not only into what was going on then and why, but into who you are, even in the midst of unsteady times. And God, would you help us to see ourselves in this book and to see our Savior? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to get us into the book this morning by doing three things. I want to ask why study judges. I want to ask the question, who were these Old Testament judges and what did they do? And then I want to like set up what flows from this beginning in the book of Judges, the way that the book of Judges sets everything up and everything will flow out of this today. So why study Judges? You know, I've been thinking about uh, what's next and why study Judges. I I don't know about you, but do you ever feel that, that maybe things are a little less stable in our nation right now, a little more unsteady than they've been? I think a lot of people are feeling that. I mean, I cannot remember a time, maybe since the late 60s, Maybe Watergate, but I can't remember a time where it seems like every day on the news, people from both sides of the aisle are, are talking about the questioning the durability of our democratic institutions. You, you kind of feel it sh- maybe shaking a little bit, you know? And we live in a time of, of great moral relativism. You know, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, and they might be totally different, but they're both true as long as we believe what we believe, and and I decide what's true. Kind of a moral relativism where the foundations of truth are are just being torn down. The the definitions of of just what formerly have been very easily discern definitions of society and units within society are just are just changed you know you can kind of feel the earth moving under your feet a little bit these days and 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 you know so much nonsense that's accepted as truth and and kind of enforced by cultural pressure you ever feel that like do i really have to go along with this nonsense I kind of feel pressured too. Maybe I'm going to be some kind of right-wing barbarian or something if I don't. I mean, there are moments. Sometimes it all kind of feels like a little bit like a house of cards, you know? Then you throw in all these emerging statistics about the church in America. Makes you wonder sometimes. And then there's like all these articles, I read one about a week and a half ago about how Americans are literally losing sleep because of all the aforementioned political threatenings to our democratic institutions. I remember when we were going through the the Great Recession, 
You know, that started in 2008, there were all the articles about how people were like filled with anxiety all the time and losing sleep. And there's new articles about that. And, and Americans aren't just sitting here just kind of placid and peacefully. There's a lot of people wondering what's going on. I don't know if you're one of those people. And then there's all the personal unsteadiness that we all face in relationships that are at risk. And, and jobs that feel tenuous. And, and our concern for, for the next generation and all that they're growing up with that, that those who've come before we didn't grow up with and, and just our concerns about, about all the, the pressures and, and pulls and tugs on their hearts as well as, as all of our hearts. This is why. We got to study Judges. The period of the Judges in the Old Testament is the most unsteady period in the entire Old Testament. You could make the, the claim that right before they went into exile and, you know, were, were conquered the, the northern kingdom by the Assyrians and the southern kingdom by the Babylonians. You can make that argument as well. But, but this is a period that literally is known for its instability period of the judges in those days israel had no king everybody did what was right in their own eyes does that sound familiar everybody made up their own truth everybody and so it's just kind of chaotic and the net effect in the book of judges is the erosion of that society and the bitter conquest and enslaving of the Israelite people at different times by foreign powers. And we can learn from the book of Judges. What is God like when, when things feel so unsteady? Wouldn't you, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to know that? And we can learn from the book of Judges how to walk by faith when things feel so unsteady. So, The other reason I've chosen the book of Judges is to show how deeply enmeshed we are in this culture with all of its traps, all of its seductions. I'm talking about us. My purpose here over the next weeks is not to say we're the good people and all those people are the bad people. No, it is to say that that the moral and ethical compass And the dependability of truth and grace is being dislodged and we're feeling it. And we, I'm talking about us, we are a part of what's going on. And it's very interesting to look at the the book of Judges realizing we're a part of what's going on. Maybe we'll be able to see with greater distinction what our calling from God is. Maybe we'll be able to, to see our own defections from God and His grace and, and His truth and, and maybe be able to repent deeply before God who loves us and forgives us. And maybe we'll see that our hope is not in people or in things, but in our Savior who will always love us. He will never fail us. And he will lead us. 
That's why judges. You may feel that we're in an unsteady time, and we are. And God has spoken about that. So secondly, who are these judges? What are these Old Testament judges? And what, what, did, they, what did they do? Now, when, when you and I think of judges, what do we think of? We think of really austere people in black robes sitting behind the, you know, the big desk in a courtroom deciding whether you go to jail or not or, or how, how, what kind of fine you're going to, to pay. That's what we think about when we think of judges. That's not what these judges are. Now, I will say, a part of their job was to arbitrate in disputes. When, when they got to rule, they were, they kind of had that function. But the book of Judges, it named after them because they arbitrated disputes. So, you know, that's my cow, no, that's my cow. That's not why the book of Judges is named after them. Now, I'll tell you what they were. In all this unsteadiness and, and all this kind of cycles, and next week we'll talk about the cycles as we get into the, the first judge, Othniel is his name. Uh, but in, in all these cycles, um, Israel very often needed to be delivered. And the Spirit of God would come upon one of these people. And they're not all men. There's one named Deborah, who's a woman. And the Spirit of God would come upon these people and, and they would rise up and they were like tribal leaders in one of the tribes of Israel. And, and they would rally the people and they would lead the people in conquest and, and God would, would defeat Israel's enemies through the leadership of this judge. And then that judge would be able to, to kind of sit and rule for a period and there would be peace in the land for a period and then Israel would turn away from God and this whole cycle would go again and God would have to send another judge. There are 12 judges in this long period of Israel's history of incredible instability. And so, and so basically what the judges are is they're kind of like tribal warlords who had a lot of authority in their tribe that God used to gather the nation, rally the nation, and defeat Israel's enemies and bring a time of peace. And there are 12 of them that we will see. So, why study judges? Man, we're living in that unstable time. This is good. Who are these judges? They're the people that God raises up to to deliver, and we need a deliverer as well. Thirdly is the, the way this book sets up everything that will flow out in the book through chapter 1, verses 1, through chapter 2, verse 5. And I'd like to have you turn in your Bibles. I know I asked you to do that about eight minutes ago. But if you could turn in your Bibles to Judges 2, I want to read to you kind of as our primary text, Judges 2, 1 through 5. It's a, it's a summary Judges 2, 1 through 5. The angel of the Lord, some people believe that's like Jesus in the Old Testament, God himself. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bachim and said to the Israelites, and this is God speaking through this, this person, I brought you up out of Egypt. And I led led you to a land 
that I swore to give your ancestors. And I said to you, I will never break my covenant with you. And you, you shall not make a covenant enter into these relations with the people that already live in this land and you shall break down their altars and their places of worship because they don't worship me. Yet you have disobeyed me. And then I love that this is kind of thrown in as the next verse. Why have you done this? You might look at that as, why have you done this? Or you might look at it as, I brought you out of Egypt. I fed you in the wilderness. I, I brought you into this good land. I promised flowing milk. And Why? I, I promised you I would never break my promise to you. I always love you. Why would you do this? And I've also said, I will no longer drive the Canaanites nights out before you. If you want them to stay there, they're going to stay there. And they will become traps for you. And their gods, small g, their gods will become snares to you. And when the angel of the Lord has spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud. And that is why the place is called Bakim, because that means the place of tears. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord. So the, the first chapter of the book of Judges all the way through chapter 2, verse 5, is kind of a report card on how the Israelites are doing since they, they were allowed to come into the land and, and push the Canaanites out, conquer the land, be able to finally inherit this land that had been promised for, for so, so long. How are they doing in this Possessing of the land, this, this command of God. Well, you remember it was to Abraham that he was in that land. Remember he was sojourning. God said, get up and leave the place where you live and go to a land that I will show you. Abraham didn't even know where God was leading him. And he went to Sarah and said, we're moving. God wants us to. Where are we moving? That's great. We don't know. Okay. All right. Let's pack it up. And, and where they were moving to was the land of Canaan. And, and God said, look around you. All this land, all this land I am giving to you. And I am promising right now to you that your descendants will, will live in this land and I will be their God. And Abraham, and that's just a part of the great covenant. You know, I will be your God and the God of your children after you and, and all these different parts of this promise that God made to Abraham. And so this, this land becomes very important and it becomes real important when a famine occurs to the land and through Joseph, the, the children of Israel go down to Egypt and they're fine for a while living in the, the land of Goshen and there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph and they enslaved God's people. And you know, God told Abraham when he promised that land, he said, after 400 years of slavery, I will bring my people out to this land and 400 years of enslavement. And let me tell you something, that land of freedom, that land to just be God's people in a place was hugely important during those 400 years of bitter, back-breaking slavery. That land flowing with milk and honey. That land God will 
will give us and our descendants after us. And the Lord brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and through ten plagues. And the Lord brought them through the wilderness with incredible miracles and the feeding of His people with manna every morning and, and water when they needed water. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And I can't go into all the history, but one of the reasons they wandered for 40 years, it was until the generation that came out of Egypt passed away. And another generation born on the trail, you know, born in the, the sojourning in the wilderness, those people had become of age. Those are the people that are going to go into the promised land. And there are only two people left of that original generation who were faithful to God and believed that the Israelites could defeat the Canaanites and they were Joshua and Caleb and right before Moses died God told Moses you are to appoint Joshua to take your place and it will be you're not going into the promised land Moses but Joshua is my appointed leader and he is going to take you the my people into the land and and they're going to push the Canaanites out Joshua 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, my servant, is dead. You think those are important words? In, I used to live in Tuscaloosa. That's like Bear Bryant is dead. My, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, get up. And go over the Jordan River, you and all this people, go into the land that I am giving to this people, to the people of Israel. And every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give that place to you, just as I promised to Moses. And no man shall ever, will be able, listen to this, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, because just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit this land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And so they went over. But now, in the book of Joshua, it's not Moses that's died, so Joshua, now it's Joshua's died. And you know what? We're not going to get a replacement. And that's why we're going to end up with Judges. Now he's dead, and, and, and we read, and, and there's like all this unfinished business. There's like all this unconquered territory. There's all these Canaanites just, just swarming the land still. Judges 1-1, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first against the Canaanites and to fight against them? And God said, we're going to send the tribe of Judah first. And the tribe of Judah recruited the tribe of Simeon. And we kind of get the beginning of this story in the book of Joshua. Uh, Judges, rather. And chapter 1 is this report card on Judges chapter 1. How are we doing? We're not doing well. It starts pretty good. The tribe of Judah and Simeon are are taking care of some business. But then, y'all, it just goes south. The other tribes are unable to drive the Canaanites out. 
And, and then we find the tribes that actually do defeat the Canaanites rather than obeying God and removing all those, those temples to foreign gods and all of that influence from the land. You know what they did to them? Made slaves of them so they could, they could have their menial labor taken care of. They would rather have convenience than worship. Yeah, this is current. <laughs> and that's what they did. You're, like, you're reading this and you can't believe that they actually defeated these people and keep them there and enslave them as, and instead of pushing them out so that those people can live free anywhere they want to be as free people, however they want to live and worship whatever God they want to worship, while Israel would obey the Lord in the promised land. No, they had to make slaves out of these people. It's awful. And, um, and then the Canaanites push back in a big way. And whole areas of the promised land are lost, including Jerusalem. The Jebusites just, they weren't pushed out. They rose up, they took it back. So they're just constant. Struggle going on in the book of Judges. The tribes of Asher and Naphtali were forced, are you ready for this? It wasn't the Canaanites who were forced to live among the victorious Israelites. No, the tribes of Asher and Naphtali were forced to live among the Canaanites because they couldn't push them out. We read that the tribe of Dan was confined to the hill country because they just couldn't win on the plains. They just couldn't prevail over the Canaanites. Now, did I mention to you that the Canaanites have so much more formidable, larger, better trained, better armed military than Israel? I think one of the things that we don't know really in our heads about this conquest of the land, we think just because we read the, the book of Joshua and the walls come a-tumbling down and, and these people are routed and those people are routed, we think, man, the Israelites, they were really good fighters. No, they're just a bunch of shepherds. Every time the Israelites went against the Canaanites, the Israelites did not stand a chance. That is why when they originally came to a place called Kadesh Barnea, I'm talking right after the Dead Sea, before they wandered for 40 years, everybody said, those people are huge. Those people have iron chariots. We can't defeat those people. And they didn't go in. And it was only Joshua and Caleb that said, oh yeah, we can, because we got the Lord who will fight. There's a reason that there are Canaanites still in the land. It's because the Canaanites have military arms kind of like the Soviet Union and, and, the, and the Israelites have uh, military arms kind of like Paraguay. Iron chariots. That, that was like, in, in those days of warfare, that was like an Apache helicopter. That was like an Abrams M1 tank against a bunch of shepherds. Judges 1.19, Judah took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. There it is. Could not. Unless 
like we saw in the book of Joshua, unless they trusted God to go before them, unless they trusted God to deliver their enemies into their hands. There was just not a fair fight unless they trusted God. It was always God in the book of Joshua that went ahead of them. This is why in the book of Joshua, the walls came tumbling down because God made the walls come tumble down. God was throwing hailstones out of the clouds against their enemies. God sent, quote, the hornet, like hornets ahead of the Israelite army, the Canaanites in the book of Joshua are terrified of the Israelites. And that ark that they keep, you know, bringing into battle, they think, man, if you see that ark, there's some, they think there's something magical about that ark. It's like, man, the ark's with them. We're dead. Boy, lots changed in our perspective with the Canaanites since the book of Joshua. Joshua's dead. We can't defeat those people. Those people have iron chariots. We'll try. Back in Joshua 17, here are exact words. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron. And though they are strong, you shall drive them out. But it's not happening. And the report card is an F. (laughs) It's not happening. Because the Israelites kind of become okay with it not happening. You know, we, one of the things we learn in the book of Judges is we, we kind of learn that uh, it's important what we become okay with. And how what we become okay with begins to really influence our lives. The Canaanites have to go. Throw in their babies into the fires all kinds of ritual killing, all kinds of worship that's based on prostitution. It's a fertility cult. The Baals, actually you should say Baal, B-A-A-L, but here in the South we say Baal. You know? And um, that, 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 that Baal God and his, his, his kind of a parallel God named Asherah, you know, the Asherah poles. You think, surely after the Red Sea, surely after Jericho, surely after the hornets, surely, we, man, you know what? That Baal God was relevant. He was the rain God. And this was an agricultural people. And you know, when, when it rained and the crops came up or when it rained and there was grass for the herds, you know what that turned into? That turned into money. That turned into security. And they left those temples to Baal right there in Israel. And they left those Asherah poles right there. And it is not very long until something that's very relevant to them and the, the idea of bending their religion just to get what they want from God, that is what's going on here. And that Baal worship is really hard to resist. And they no longer trusted Yahweh to provide for them They just kind of bent their religion to aim at getting what they wanted out of God. I mean, does that sound familiar? I think so. Turn their backs on Yahweh God. You just, you know, we look at this and we go, I'm just not believing that. 
Because we, we, you know, we can take in at one time all the miracles of God. We're like, I'm not believing that they did that. Well, you know what? You need to believe it because we're just like that. And, and God says in, in Judges 2, 2 and 3 in our text, And you shall not make a covenant with these people in the land. You shall break down their altars. You shall remove these foreign gods. But you've disobeyed me, God says. Why? Why have you done this? I have promised I will never leave you. Why have you done this? He said, also, then I'm not going to drive them out before you. And they will become traps. And their gods will become snares to you. And it all leads to that phrase that's repeated four times in the book of Joshua. And in those days there was no king and everyone did as he saw fit. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I mean, we live in an unsteady time where God is not regarded as king and everyone does what is right in their own eyes and you are not to suggest that something is wrong unless you want to be one of those barbarians. We struggle with the same thing. We struggle with wanting what we want and and, and the relevance of the, the siren call of other gods, the pull that you and I have on our hearts, whatever it is we love the most, that is functionally our God. Whatever it is that we are really depending on to make our life okay, that functionally is our God. Yes, we struggle with our own idolatry. You know, it was a beautiful day, May the 1st, 2003. I don't know if any of y'all remember this day in history, May the 1st, 2003, what happened. What happened was, is the, uh, the President of the United States at that time, George W. Bush, was in the cockpit of a jet fighter flying his own plane. Do y'all remember this? And it was amazing because he had been like a reserve pilot, you know, back during the Vietnam War. There's all this controversy about that too. But he, he, he landed his own plane, jet plane, on the deck of the aircraft carrier, the USS Abraham Lincoln, May 1st, 2003. But what was more important was the, the ceremony that took place on the deck. And there was George W. Bush. Don't mess with America. You know, there he was, standing on the deck. And there's this huge banner behind him. Y'all remember this? And the banner said, tell me, mission accomplished. That's a regrettable banner. Now that it's 2019 and we're still there. Um, Mission accomplished. Now, to be fair, the army versus army out in the field war was over and that Part of the mission was accomplished. But y'all, we know the rest of the story. That whole thing with Iraq and Afghanistan, which is a different subject, that's still not finished. And just how embroiled, how ensnared have we been through all of these foreign wars and these 
Afghan war is the longest military engagement in the history of our nation. I don't know if y'all know that. Longer than Vietnam. Iraq's right behind it. Well, Joshua, the son of Nun, never stood in front of any banner that said mission accomplished. And I'll tell you why. Because it wasn't. It wasn't. And the book of Judges starts with this. Chapter 1, report card, grades are in, mission not accomplished. Asherah poles everywhere. Idols everywhere. Temples to Baal on all these high places. Mission not accomplished. And the result of mission not accomplished is devastating to the nation of Israel. And all the instability of what happens and all the need for these deliverers flows out of mission not accomplished. And God saying, I've promised you and I will never take it back. Why? Why are you doing this? It is the beginning. Our text today is the beginning what what Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke calls the beginning of the Canaanization of Israel. I think we can relate to this. I, I, I think we might ask ourselves what, what we are entertaining in our hearts as being so important. What, what we are kind of leaving in our hearts, just trusting that that's going to make us happy, going to make our lives, what we're kind of leaving there to compete for our very hearts. And we so easily give our hearts to people and and money and pleasure and things and relationships with more love. Y'all, more love and more passion than we have for, for our God and our Savior. And you know what? When we do that, just like in the book of Judges, instability follows. And I'll tell you why instability follows. Because God loves us too much to let us just keep clutching our idols and be okay. We might be okay with our idols. God is not okay with us clutching our idols. And the reason instability follows is because God simply will not reward idolatry. That's what's going on. You'll see this in the book of Judges. I've promised you. And I love you. And God not only sent judges to, to, to deliver them and save them from a defeat, but God finally sent, and everything's going to point to this in this book, he finally sent his only son to save us in every way. And I want you to know that if you've put your trust in what Christ has done for you on the cross to remove the barrier between you and a, a holy God, I want you to know that God's love is right there in that promise. He will never leave you. He will forsake you. You know, one of the things we learn from judges that's just kind of almost devastatingly beautiful is how relentless the love of God is for people that don't deserve it. How he's not giving up on me. He's not giving up on you. He's, he's, he's going to stay after you. He's going to love you. He's going to reclaim you. 
It is an amazing thing, this love of God that was given not by anything that we did, but just by His promise, just by His choice, and just by His delivery of deliverance through His only Son. And He's not going to back down on that. His love is still relentless in my life and in your life. So, a few questions that maybe we can answer in the weeks to follow. What would it be like for you and me to trust in the Lord's love and seek our meaning from knowing him better and trust in God's word and believe it rather than simply forming our lives around what we're hearing, just around our lives and and through different modes of media and communicate. What would it be like for us to trust in God? And, and what might that produce in our lives, in our families, in the world, to have a heart that is receiving from the Lord and resting in His love? I mean, isn't that kind of what we're really after? I mean, isn't one of the reasons we, we just kind of drive for all these things and And all this stuff, isn't it because we just so desperately yearn to be loved in the deepest way that our hearts will finally be secure and we will know that it's okay? We will know that we have been given what is actually full, what actually makes us whole. You know, all this chasing, it's after wholeness. It just can't deliver. I've promised you, I will always love you and and you know they they say that they say that you know if if you open your hand to god if if your hands are empty that god loves those empty hands he loves that dependence upon him he will fill that and 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 it said that you know when our our hands are just filled with idols we just can't receive anything that's what's going on in the book of judges if you just kind of bring it down to, to one person's life. And, and finally, what, what might this produce in our lives to receive from God, to be able to rest in God? What would this do in our families? What would this do in our workplaces? Because a, a heart that is receiving and resting in his love, that is a heart, you ready for this, that actually has love to give. Because we're not just using everybody to get something from them. We have what we need. We want to love out of the love that God has given us. And that becomes the other piece of what true meaning in this life looks like. It's to receive God's love and be made whole through his Savior. It is to love and to be made an agent of God's transforming love and grace. Let's seek the answers to these questions together through Judges, and we'll sing in a moment, It is well with my soul. So let's pray. Lord, a lot to take in this morning. Kind of introductory work. Thank you for this congregation willing to do some spade work. Willing to roll up their sleeves a little bit in the Bible and, and really take a look at it. Lord, you've spoken to my heart pray that you would speak to others here. If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done for us on the cross, taking our sin and being punished in our place so a holy God won't punish us, 
and you'd like to receive that full payment, you'd like full forgiveness and a new life in Him, you just pray with me, Lord, I see it. And I want to turn from everything that I have called Christianity and everything I have called religion. And I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done. You're the ultimate deliverer. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the fullness of your spirit. Lord, many of us have walked with you for quite some time. And we, we our lives just kind of play in some ways like the book of Judges and we go through cycles where we, we really are in love with you and, and seeking your face and, and able to give love out of the love that we receive and truth out of the truth we receive. And Lord, there are other times when, when those Asherah poles and those high places are, are, are very alluring. And Lord, all of us, all of us have just given our hearts to different things and people. We, we know that if, if you have that first place in our hearts, then, then there can be proper love for all these things and people. And you can order our loves and, and actually increase the meaning that we have in this world. Lord, right now, would you, would you work by your spirit to put your finger on things that we've just left in our hearts that have this ability to, to vie and compete for our very love lord would you give us the desire and the willingness to look to you because it was always your power against the canaanites and not theirs would you give us the ability and and desire to look to you for you to be able to remove these things and replace them with the beauty of your love and the sunshine of your favor and a life of more fullness and less emptiness. Would you do this? Even as we sing, it is well with my soul. In Jesus' name, amen.